Turn with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And the reason I gave that announcement is because I've had several people ask, how do we get these sermons to listen to? Well, uh, I've, I've, we're trying to get there. So sermon.net, look for Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, you'll find us. It's there. Um, and I'll try to send out a, a link as well. Um, but even then on the Google Play Store, we're trying to get that active. It'll get up, get up pretty soon. But 1 Peter chapter 2, as we continue to navigate through this wonderful letter from the Apostle Peter to the church, we come to a section of the passage now where it's it, it can be difficult to hear what Peter is telling the church here. Because how many of us demand not to be a slave? Don't you dare tell me what to do. I mean, let's just be honest. There's not a single one of us who haven't had a boss or a supervisor that we thought, I don't want to listen to you, right? Or a parent or somebody in authority. We are strong-willed Americans, aren't we? We are independent. We don't need anybody to tell us what to do. Peter here, I believe, has some words of wisdom for the Christian in that situation. But I think it's going to be much more profound what we think. So if you can, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. First Peter chapter two, beginning in verse 18. Beginning in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Through God, you have given us so much to to meditate on in these verses. It may be impossible to fully grasp everything that you need us to see. Every nuance of your holy word takes a lifetime to ponder. God, this passage that you have given us this morning is important. Every one of us here, Father, feels oppressed. We feel trapped. We feel like we have no control. God, you give us words of wisdom through your servant Peter on how the Christian lives in that situation. We are to be patient. I pray, God, that you would teach us patience. But teach us, Father, with, with grace in the midst of that suffering while we learn patience. Teach us to endure. 
Teach us to love you and model Christ in the midst of it all. Speak to us, Lord, I pray right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. I've had some difficult bosses before, haven't you? Anybody ever had a difficult boss? Some of you in this room may actually have lived in abusive situations. I'm looking around and I don't see anyone here who perhaps has lived in slavery at any time in their life. I'm not sure if that's anywhere close to you or not. But Thinking about that situation, none of us wish to be in a place where we have no control. We want freedom. We want to desire our own, uh, to drive our own destiny, to, to actually choose how to live and how to be. But as we get older as adults, it's impossible, we realize, to actually do everything we want to do. We have to live with authority, right? Now, sometimes that authority is gracious and kind, and sometimes that authority is not. Unless you are in a situation of abuse and being treated inhumanely, maybe we may not fully grasp exactly what Peter is talking about here, because the condition of the early church, these Christians who are in exile, who are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire because of the name of Christ, were subject to abuse. And Peter here is giving them encouragement. Yes, you are suffering, but Jesus Christ has given you the model in which to live in that situation of abuse and suffering. He tells, begins here in verse 18 with the word servants, calling the church, calling the men and the women of the church servants. Are we, as Christians, servants to the Lord of hosts? Are we servants to God Almighty? Are we servants to the church? Are we servants to our Savior, Jesus Christ? How many of us see that as Christians? How often do we think of our service to Christ as Jesus Christ serving me? Let that sink in for a minute. As Christians, is it that Jesus serves us or that we serve him? I think it's a both and. Clearly, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, served us by submitting to death on the cross for our sin, to pay that price, to be the substitute for our sin. He was the substitute that paid the penalty for us. He, that's, that's how Jesus was a servant. That's a wonderful, glorious thing. But in, in return, do we as Christians have an attitude of service in return? Back to him. Or do we just sit back and say, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to take my reward now. You've forgiven me. Just give me my forgiveness. You owe it to me. Do we have that attitude? If any of us are honest with ourselves, perhaps from time to time we do. Especially when we get into situations where we struggle and we're in suffering and persecution and we're crying out to the Lord in the situation where we're angry and we're mad and we're saying, Jesus, you owe me. Don't we? Can we just be honest? In this situation where, the, where Peter's writing to the Christians, the Christians are, are aliens in new communities. They have started their lives over again in exile. 
not necessarily political exile, but they were they were refugees running from their homes to new places to set up new lives, trying to run from the persecution of the Roman government and the Roman culture. Servants, he says, be subject to your masters with all respect to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. See, if, think about this. If, if, if anyone, he, I don't know, I'm looking around, I don't know that anyone here is an immigrant to this country. Everyone here was born here, I believe. But can you imagine starting your life over again in a new country, in a new place? What kind of job do you think that you can get as someone who's either not a citizen or a new citizen of a new community? Guess who's going to take the dirty jobs? If you are in the situation of the new immigrant in the new community, guess what? You're probably going to take the lowest of the low work. You probably don't have the right to own property. I've been in countries in mission work, and you realize whenever we go overseas to to work with churches and and missions around the world, in many of those places, the Americans are not allowed to own property in that country because they're not citizens. And so they have to find local people who are citizens there to partner with and for them to buy the property and to share with us as we minister. Can you imagine not having the right to own something? Can you imagine not having the right in a community to not be in charge of your own destiny? That's what many of these Christians found themselves in. When they moved to these new communities, probably even new new countries and, and, and spreading out throughout the empire, they became subject to masters as if they were servants or slaves. Ponder that. You're a Christian in a hostile empire who wants to hurt you and kill you and wipe you out. And so you find refuge in a small outpost somewhere where no one's going to detect you. And while you're there, you have to submit yourself to the masters of the place in order to feed your family. Servants, he says, be subject to your masters. Now, as Christians, we don't like to hear that, do we? American Christians, we are we are in charge. This is our country, and people are taking it from us. But guess what? The earliest church did not have that luxury. They were servants to even pagans who were not Christians, who treated them horribly, but they were Christians nonetheless serving them. Servants, be subject to your masters. Now, this word here in verse 18 for the masters is the word that we get uh the despot from. You know what a despotic ruler is? When when you have uh, a dictator who rules over a country and he's a despot. That's the that's the word that we now associate with somebody who is unfair, who's a dictator, who punishes the weak. That's how we understand this word despot now. Be subject to that kind of a sovereign lord. He's basically saying this idea of a master is someone who is sovereign over you. And Christians, who are we, who are we servants? Who, who is our sovereign Lord as Christians? Jesus Christ, our Savior. God the Father. All, oh, we love them. We serve them because they have served us. And now, Peter is saying, be servant to your masters. Even these masters who, both of them, the good ones, the gentle ones, but also the unjust. 
It's easy to be good. It's, it's easy to serve a good master. It's easy to serve somebody who is morally upright. That's what this term means here. Serve those masters with all respect that are morally upright and good. That's easy. You treat me with respect, you treat me with moral dignity, I will respond in kind. That's easy, correct? It's also easy to respond to those who are gentle. right? If someone is gentle towards you, are you going to respond with joy? Sure. This idea of gentleness here in verse 18 actually refers to this idea of being treated humanely. Right? Is there a way that we treat each other as human beings to be treated humanely? Right? If we're treated like a human being, if I'm treated with respect and dignity and honor, I'm going to serve you well. That's easy. Right? Some of these masters, some of these sovereign lords would treat their servants as humanely as possible. They would treat them with respect and honor as human beings. And that's what gentleness means here. But now in verse 18, Peter's going to step on some toes. This is where the preacher gets in trouble, okay? Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, even to the unjust. Now, the King James Version, if that's what you have, the word here is even to the froward, F-R-O-W-A-R-D. That's an, that's an unusual word. I mean, that's one of the reasons I, I, I do appreciate the English Standard Version that we preach from here. It, it does kind of break this down. The word unjust here is a great contemporary translation of the word that the King James uses called froward. What does this mean to the bad? To those who are unjust, those who are bad, those who are ugly, those masters who do not treat you as a human. That's literally what this word means here. To be froward, F-R-O-W-A-R-D in the King James, or in the English Standard Version here, the unjust. It literally means to, to be subject to those masters who do not treat you as a human being. You must serve them with respect. Now here is where the rubber meets the road for the Christian, doesn't it? If someone who is over me, my boss, my master, my sovereign Lord, treats me less than a human, do I then have the right as a Christian to fight back? That's, that's, that right there is where Peter's allowing the faith of Jesus Christ, the faith in Christ, to really be applied in, in, in a harsh world. Here's the question. Is anyone here in this room ever being treated with disrespect, being treated as if you were not human? Or do we just look at our circumstances and feel like things are unfair and equate it with that? There is a difference here. These Christians were being treated with disrespect, with unjust behavior. Literally, the word here can imply that which is crooked. Be subject to those masters with all respect who are crooked. It's the word that we get scoliosis from. Scoliosis of the spine. Something that's not straight. That's twisted and painful. Servants be subject to even those kind of masters. And when you're subject to them, you must live with them and serve them with respect. Ouch. Now that's difficult. 
But it's also a time that will reveal our faith in Jesus Christ. It will test us as to how dedicated we are to the Lord, right? This idea of respect here, the, the type of uh, the type of respect that you give these despotic, mean, unjust, vicious, crooked people who are over top of you, it means to dis- to respect them with fear. It means to come out. It comes out of a sense of duty. You are duty bound as Christians to respect and honor these masters who are even disrespecting you. We are duty bound to serve them with respect. Why are we duty bound? As Christians, do we? I mean, do we control our lives as Christians? Are we not bought by Jesus Christ? If we're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, who do we belong to? Amen? Who do we belong to if we've been bought? We've been bought with a price, and that price is Jesus' blood. So if we've been bought by him, who do we belong to? Ultimately, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has paid for us. We belong to him. So as a result, when Jesus is our master and Lord, that sovereign authority over our lives, he is commanding us, even in the the situations where you are serving an unjust master, a, a mean person who controls you, you serve him with respect as if you were serving me, Jesus Christ, in the same manner. Now, Jesus would never treat us with disrespect. Jesus is not going to treat us as if we are less than human. But he is calling those who name him as Savior and Lord to serve those evil masters with respect. That's hard. Everybody, I'm sitting here looking. I see shell shock on your eyes right now. It is shocking, isn't it? But Peter is, is, is commanding. This is not a pretty please if you think you want to. This is a command from the apostle Peter to the church. You are in a difficult situation, church. I know that. I am praying for you. I love you. Jesus has not abandoned you. But in the midst of your persecution and your suffering, here's how you live. Because he says in verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. When one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, if they are mindful of God in the process. It's not that the suffering that you, undo, that you endure saves you. This suffering that you endure is a dutiful submission. But we do this as if we are mindful of God. And the result is, it's a gracious thing. Can we show grace to the evil master when they are persecuting us and treating us less than human? That's hard. But Peter is encouraging the church here. If you can endure this with the help of the Lord, if you can endure the sorrows of this suffering that is not right, this suffering you do not deserve, this suffering you have not earned, if you deal with it as the Lord would deal with it, it's a gracious thing. Now, the limit here in verse 19 is this. Those who are treated unjustly as Christians, Peter is not saying you just lay down all the time. 
we are we are duty bound to submit to the authorities to the limit that that authority does not lessen God's authority. Think about this for just a second. We do not substitute the authority that we rightly owe God with the authority that we owe these evil masters. We do not replace God's authority with the evil master's authority. God's authority is still supreme. Amen? We do not, that's what verse 19 is really implying here, when he uses the term mindful of God. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, you endure sorrows while suffering. That means in the midst of the suffering, you keep in mind that God is the supreme authority, and this authority that is corrupting, that is corrupted and hurting you, that corrupt authority is still under authority to God Almighty, who is still supreme. All of humanity is under the supreme sovereign authority of who? God the Father in heaven. Even the evil despot who treats the Christians unjustly. If we can remember that in the midst of our suffering and our sorrows, if we can remember that this person who is in authority over us and treating us horribly, that evil person, they are also in submission to authority of God. Maybe. That's enough encouragement to help us endure. (laughs) Can you ponder that? In the midst of being treated inhumanely, in the midst of being treated unjustly, can we remember and be mindful of God in verse 19 that God himself is the highest authority? That these people, they may be able to control me and hurt me right now, but there's a greater Lord who loves me and is gracious and will rescue me. And these people will receive their just rewards from God Almighty. That's important to remember here in verse 19. Because this idea in verse 19 of being treated unjustly is morally, is, is further explained in verse 20. He says, for what great, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. That's an that's an interesting first line in verse twenty. That, that that term "beaten for their sin" implies exactly how horrible the Christians' situation was at this time. Peter is writing to Christians who are servants to masters who beat them and treat them as if they're not human. That's hard. And he's writing words of encouragement. You are being beaten for doing this. He says, for what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it, you endure? That means if you brought this beating upon yourself. In other words, the Christians in verse 20, there are times where we're not perfect. If you bring the punishment upon yourself because you are not treating your masters with respect. And you endure that, that's nothing. In other words, if you disrespect the masters who are disrespecting you, they will beat you for it, but you've earned the beating. So in other words, if you as a Christian cause your master to punish you because you are disrespecting them, you earn it. You, you need to own that punishment. That's what it says in verse the first part of verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But, at the other half of verse 20, 
But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is what's gracious in the sight of God. So what Peter is explaining here and and making very clear, just because you are suffering doesn't mean that you are somehow being dutiful in that. Because if you've earned the punishment, you've got to take the punishment. Amen? Christians, how many of us have done some things that we just sit back and think, okay, yeah, I messed up. Uh, boss is going to dock my pay. I didn't meet the deadline or I didn't do what I was asked to do. And I'm just going to have to face the judge. As Christians, <laughs> we've all been there. As Christians, we face the judgment that we rightly deserve. And we do so with grace. You know what, boss? I'm sorry. I messed up. You're right. Dock my pay. That goes a long way in the in the workplace, doesn't it? You know what? I did break those tools, and, I, and the reason I broke it was because I was being careless. I'll buy those back. If, in other words, in verse twenty, for what credit is it if when you sin? In other words, if we sin against the master, we must make amends. But if when you do good. And you do, and you have done nothing to earn the punishment. If you've done nothing to deserve the beating here, and you endure through that, that's what God sees as gracious. Let's make this very clear. We all have been there, and we all know people who cry victim all the time. Anybody here like to cry victim? It's not my fault. I see some people. Yeah, I've done that. And then their heads going down like this, right? Have we all, I mean, we all want to be the victim. It's not my fault. That mean boss, they don't just, they don't, they don't appreciate me. But then anyway, if we're honest with ourselves, are we actually being an honest co-worker, a worker who actually serves the company and serves the boss the way they need to be served? As a Christian, Do we suffer persecution justly or unjustly? We have to make sure we distinguish that because that's what Peter's talking about here in verse 20. How many Christians behave like heathens and pagans and then cry victim because they are being persecuted as a Christian? I don't know about you, but I've gotten to the point where I don't even watch news media anymore. I just don't. I'm getting away from it. It's just sickening. People who cry victim all the time on both sides of the political spectrum. It's not just one. Oh, I'm so holy and righteous and you're treating me unfairly. I want my rights. That's the same message in the media all the time, isn't it? And Christians are the ones who are singing the loudest, unfortunately. The Christian who claims that they are being persecuted in the United States and they're going to fight for their rights is not following what Peter is saying here in chapter 2. The Christian who serves his community and serves his nation and serves his church and serves his Lord with grace and respect is the one that God will be pleased with. Amen. Verse 21. You know what? I may have to wrap this up here soon. We have to get to this next week. Would that be okay with you guys? We came back to this text next week. 
girls are going, yay, sermon's over. No. Verse 21, Peter says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Verse 21, this idea that we have been called to something. What is it that we've been called to? I mean, this verse 21 is in context of suffering unjustly. Are we called to suffer through unjust, harsh treatment? Yes. Yes, we are called as Christians in the name of Christ to suffer because Christ himself suffered more than we could ever imagine suffering ourselves. Amen? Is that not one of the reasons we come here every Sunday and gather as a church to worship? Because we give respect and honor to Jesus Christ who suffered more than we do. That's what the rest of these verses speak about. And actually, I think I will. I think next week we'll come back here to verse 21 through 25 and kind of unpack this. Because that's I've got another probably hour and a half worth of material here for that. There's enough here for us to meditate through and to, to, to to chew on. But verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. What is this that we've been called to? We've been called to endure unjust suffering, but we are called to endure it with patience. Calmly. Not with aggression and retaliation. We are called to respond the way Christ did to his own suffering on the cross. Nowhere in the Gospels, when we read about Jesus Christ and his Passion Week before leading up to his crucifixion, did Jesus ever lash out back against his accusers? No. He willingly took the beatings. He willingly suffered through unjust persecution Jesus willingly suffered through, patiently and calmly, through a trial that was false. He willingly laid down on that cross and said, nail my hands here. He didn't fight back. He didn't claim his rights as the Son of God. If anybody had the right to claim anything, it was God's Son. How dare you treat me this way? He laid down willingly and suffered something that he didn't earn. He paid the price for us. We earned that punishment. And because of this, Peter's saying in verses 20 and verse 21, he says, for to this you have been called. You have been called to endure this suffering and you must endure it the way Christ did. You must endure it patiently. You must endure it calmly. I'm just going to leave it at that. And I think next week I want to come back here to verses 21 through 25. We're going to unpack this even deeper. And try to understand even more about what Peter is explaining here. About our suffering and about the suffering of Christ. There's so much here. And so this week, here's my challenge for us all this week. How many of us, as we live our lives, we... we Sit in our houses and we have our own little pity parties and we moan and, and, and cry about our situation and, oh, I'm just not getting my way. And, anybody like that? 
Nobody gonna admit it but me. Rhonda hears me all the time. And she loves me anyway. I, we were at a we were at a meeting a, a gathering a few months back and it was I love this example that the the role of the of the wife to the husband and the and the role of the husband to the wife in marriage is sometimes as the spouse you just hold the bucket and allow your spouse just to spew out all the poison out of their heart into the bucket and you just stand there and when they're done you empty the bucket outside and you move on. We've all been there, haven't we? We bemoan and we cry and we whine about our situation. But if we really stop and ponder our situation in Christ, we have the greatest treasure of all. And the fact that Jesus loved us enough to die for us. Amen. So why is it that when we do face suffering and persecution, we don't act the same way Christ would? I think that's a challenge here from Peter for us. I want to encourage us all to ponder that this week. Whatever your situation is, whether it is you've got a teacher who's mean and unfair, whether you've got a boss that's mean or unfair, you may have a spouse who's mean and unfair. That happens. Let's just not sugarcoat it, right? Sometimes spouses treat the other spouse unjustly. But then at the same time, if we really... If we really examine our own hearts, how often do we treat others with disrespect? And how often do we treat others inhumanely, really? Maybe that's something that the Lord needs to deal with, too. Let me close this in prayer. Dear Father God, we do praise you. For the word that you give us through Peter. But God we also praise you for the fact that you did not abandon us in our rebellion. That when we sin against you father you loved us enough to send your son Jesus Christ to restore that relationship. He paid the price. Jesus your son suffered and took the punishment that was rightly due to us. Father, whenever we face unjust attacks, we want to fight back. But as Christians, you call us through your word here to stand with patience and calmness. When that persecution comes from those who are in authority over us, we are to endure that suffering patiently. And in doing so, we witness and we model the patience of your son, Jesus Christ, to those who need to see it. But God, that's impossible for us to do. This is why we must have, Father, your will, your spirit, your love in us. We must have the spirit of Christ directing us, shaping us, so that we can endure suffering patiently. I pray, God, in those who have heard your word this morning, 
who's heard this message, Lord, who, who may be struggling and dealing right now with situations they cannot control, that they feel that they are being treated unjustly and they don't know why. Father, I pray that you would pour out your spirit of love and mercy and patience in them right now. Every one of us need that. I pray, God, that you would love us. Strengthen us. So that we can give you honor and glory in the midst of our struggle and our suffering. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for this time here, Lord. I pray, God, that you would love us and forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.